Well, I'm pretty sure that I speak for all of Orchardville Church when I say how, uh, how blessed we are to enjoy such amazing, incredible, and vibrant ministries for um, everything from our smallest of the small who haven't even grown into their antlers yet <laughs> Uh, to our teenagers and everything in between. And uh, so, uh, well done, uh, kids. Well done, youth. Outstanding work. I especially want to thank Erica and Rick for faithfully pouring into the lives of our kids uh, and I want to thank those of you who are, are volunteers who serve right alongside them. Uh, you're making a difference, and uh, you're changing lives, and we celebrate that this morning. And, uh, you know, I think as you watch that and you sort of participate in that uh, and the spirit of it with them, you know, you can't help but kind of put yourself in the place of, of a parent uh, in the middle of that and some of you may actually be parents in the middle of that. Some of your kids might have been on the, on the stage that, while that was going on. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you were seeing some of your grandkids up here. And, or maybe neither one of those categories fit. But if you've ever been a parent, you, you have that sense of remembering what that's like to, to see your kids up and, and doing something like that. And, and it just... It, I think it warms all of our hearts to see all of those children participating in the joy and in the real meaning behind Christmas, and that's the reason for the season. And I think if, if you do, you're probably prone to think like most parents would, like I did when I had kids that age is that when you see what was going on on the, on the platform just a moment ago, you think to yourself, man. I wish that my kids could sort of stay in this bubble, right? This bubble of time and, and place where, you know, they're full of joy, where they're safe, where everything is right in the world and right in their lives. And man, if you, if you could just kind of build this dome around them and protect them from, from everything else that might come before or after that, I mean, it's like, how, how warm and how awesome would that be for your parents' heart? To know that you could do that. And we probably are a little more prone to think that way or see that during the Christmas season than any other time of the year. But we're doing a series of messages, if you're a guest here this morning, called Christmas in the Real World. And in the real world, what we know is that life doesn't always work out that easy. What we know in the real world is that bad things do happen. No matter how much we want to protect our kids and wish that no bad thing would ever touch them in life, no matter how much we wish that even for ourselves, in the real world, we know that life does not work out that way and bad things actually do happen. And listen to me, church, that actually is the reason for the existence of Christmas. 
You know, one of the favorite songs that we sing, they didn't do it in any of the, the things that we saw here this morning, but one of, one of the favorites is Joy to the World. Joy to the World. The Lord has come. And you know, one of the names that was given to the Lord was Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. God left heaven and showed up in the flesh to be with us. Joy to the world, the Lord is Emmanuel with us. The Lord is come. The Lord came because bad things happen in the world. But if the Lord came at Christmas, then why in the world do bad things still happen? Right? I mean, if Jesus came, then why do bad things happen? Why do some horrible, ugly things happen in the world if Jesus actually came? Open your Bible to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent who tempted Eve and Eve took of the fruit and started a whole cycle of events. And so let's pick up in chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, well, the woman that you gave to be with me, well, she gave it to me and I ate it. So Adam instinctively knows something is not right and he starts pointing the finger of blame. Hey, God, that woman that you gave me, it's really her fault. She, she did it. So God moves on. And God says to the woman, what is this that you have done? Well, she ain't taking the blame for this. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this. And by the way, he didn't have anybody else left to blame, so he's kind of stuck with it. Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity. Now just in case you don't immediately recognize what that word means, that actually means hatred and hostility. So here's what God is saying to the serpent. He said, I will put hatred and hostility between you and the woman and between your seed 
and her seed. And if you're looking in the New King James or the King James Version, you might see that seed is capitalized with an S. Odd, why would that be capitalized? Because he then goes on to say, he, and that is also capitalized, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his, which is also capitalized, heel. Right here, Genesis chapter three, God is announcing the coming of the first Christmas. And he said, devil, Satan, you are cursed. And from this day forward, I'm going to put hatred and contempt and hostility between you and the woman and ultimately her seed, which will be my son, Jesus Christ. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Jesus was announcing the coming of the very first Christmas. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word, we open your word. God, I pray that we'll also open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears. God, in this place and in this moment, may we hear exactly what your Holy Spirit would want us to hear and nothing else. God, may you be raised up and Lord, may we be moved by that encounter. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. And so as you read this, here's the reality. There's been a battle going on between the good of God and the evil of Satan from the very beginning. It happened before they even got very far down the road in the Garden of Eden. The good of God matched up against in a struggle for control and power with the evil of Satan. And it's been going on ever since that moment. And ever since that moment, that is the battle that brought sin into the world and that sin has affected us all the way down to this very day. Now there's sin that came into the world through this passage that we read in Genesis created several things. Number one, sin caused everything in creation to be broken. Now, sometimes we say broken, we think, you know, well, he can't use it. Well, in this case, when I say it caused everything to be broken, I mean broken not in an unusable way, but broken from its original condition. Usable, but not in its original condition. Now, most of you know what that means. Most of you deal with that all the time. I mean, probably a lot of us in here have, have had a car that got dinged up, banged up, something. You know, and you look at it and you hear from the insurance company and, and they offer to pay X amount of dollars to fix it. And you're going, hmm, I could use that money to do something else. 
anything, in, uh, you know, a roll of duct tape is five bucks. Right? I can fix that with duct tape and I can spend the rest of it on other stuff. Why? Because your car is broken, but it's still usable, but it's not what it ought to be. And by the way, if, if you're ever tempted, don't do that. Sean Johnston, I don't know if he's here this morning, but man, Sean does awesome work on cars. So if you, know, you run into a deer, your car is broken, but usable, man, don't, don't drive around with the insurance money. Go get it fixed. <laughs> Go get that thing fixed. There's stuff around the house all the time. And, you know, I'm not exactly a handyman. And so, you know, I've learned to be okay with things operating in a less than optimal condition. It's like, I'm okay. Some of you men know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's okay. It works. One side of the toaster works, the other doesn't. What's the big deal? So, so sin broke everything in creation. Not in a way that it was unusable anymore, but it's not operating in the way that it was meant to operate. It was broken. Sin caused the fellowship of God with mankind to be broken. Why? Because God cannot fellowship with sin. God is a perfect, holy God. And before sin came in the world, God would come down from heaven and he would hang out with Adam. After Eve was created, he would come down and hang out with Adam and Eve and he would spend time with them and he would fellowship with them because all of creation was perfect. Mankind was perfect. But when sin entered the world, God could no longer fellowship in an ongoing basis with a sin-cursed and stained creation and mankind. And so because of that, sin caused God to be willing to send his perfect sinless son to deal with restoring the fellowship between God and mankind that we no longer could do. That's what God did. He sent his son Jesus to come deal with that and to set things right in the world. So if all of that is true, and I believe with every fiber of my being that all of that is true, then why do bad things still happen in the world? If God sent his perfect, sinless son into the world to deal with the condition that sin brought into the world and broke that fellowship between God and man, if God sent Jesus to deal with that, then why in the world are bad, horrible, ugly things still happening? I will tell you why, and that is because the first time that Jesus came, he didn't come as a king. Remember the song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her what? Her king. That's what he is, but he didn't come as a king the first time. He came as a sacrifice. When Jesus came and from left heaven and came to earth, on that very first Christmas morn, he came knowing that he would be a sacrifice that would be accused of things that he never did, abandoned and abused by people that he came to save, and he would be nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for you and me that we would never, ever, ever be able to pay. He didn't come as king. He came to do what we couldn't do. He will come back one day, though. Not as a sacrifice the next time, 
He will come back as a king one day to make it all right once and for all. That day's coming. But we have to live between that day and this one. We have to deal with the fallout of a sin-cursed and broken world. So, let's kind of take that into context in regard to Christmas. Open your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now, we've been kind of scrolling through the gospel of Matthew in chapter 1 and 2, looking at how God threw off the plans of Christmas for Mary and Joseph and how your plans are fair game to be thrown off track. And when that happens, you need to step back and get God's perspective on it. Don't don't let it destroy things. We looked last week at how the wise men came to worship God. No matter what is going on in your world right now, if, you're, if, if the plans have gone completely awry, you can still have a better than usual Christmas if you will do what the wise men did in Matthew chapter two and you seek Jesus to worship him. That changes everything. Today we continue with that story though and we're looking at if Jesus came to deal with the mess, then why do we still have the mess? Let's begin in verse 13 of chapter two. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is after the wise men left. Saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and they departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, Weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19, and now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So as you read through this passage from Matthew chapter 2, 
We're just confronted with some hard realities here. See, God sent his son Jesus to deal with the fallout that happened in Genesis chapter 3. But you can immediately see as you read this passage that Jesus being born did not stop bad things from happening. In this same chapter, you have this incredible comparison. You have the total and complete innocence of Jesus, the Christ child. And on the other hand, you have like the total anarchy and treachery of Herod. You have the salvation of God that is presented through his son, Jesus Christ. And you have the total destruction of probably hundreds of innocent children, two years of age and under. You have purely good, and you have purely evil, all in the same chapter, the same time when Jesus is arriving. You know, I think sometimes we look at the news and we, we read things that, you know, it just boggles your mind. You go, how in the world could somebody do that? How in the world could somebody do what they just did? How can somebody walk into a church and shoot people up? How can somebody walk into a school and kill innocent children? How can somebody do that? Church, it is because evil still exists in the world. This has been a battle going on from the beginning of creation between God and Satan and it, and it came to a head in the Garden of Eden and it has been full warfare ever since. Jesus came to deal with it but he came as a sacrifice not as a king. And so his birth did not stop bad things from happening. His birth didn't eliminate suffering either. Usually hand in hand with those bad things is the suffering that goes along with it. You read in verse 18, a voice was heard in Rama, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I, I don't know if I've ever personally experienced that kind of anguish. But I know some of you here this morning, you have. What do you say to that? What do you do with that? Maybe some of you read the story this week of a young mom, a weathercaster on a station in Detroit, 30-something years old. She took her life, left behind a husband and two children. Can you even begin to imagine the grief for a husband and two children who are dealing with a wife and a mother taking her own life this close to Christmas? 
how do they back up and celebrate Christmas going forward? How do do they back up and separate out the pain that came into their life during the Christmas season and act like it's all good? There was a man that that I knew several years in Peoria. He's a wonderful man, tenderhearted, do anything for you. He just never, ever seemed to really enjoy Christmas. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. I mean, because he, he was a good-natured guy and, and soft-hearted, enjoyed being around him, enjoyed talking to him, but just, he just always seemed a little disconnected at Christmas time. I asked him, you know, one day, I'm like, you know, is there something that I can, I can help you with? And there really wasn't, but he, t- he shared with me that quite a few years ago, in different years, he'd lost both his mom and his father during the Christmas season. And he loved them. And he had a hard time celebrating Christmas when two people that he loved so much passed away and went on to be with the Lord during the Christmas season. Some of you are, are dealing with things that I don't even know about this morning. Things that happen during the Christmas season. You come to the Christmas season and, and it's, it's not all happy, happy, joy, joy for you. Because when Jesus came, he didn't stop bad things from happening. And baby Jesus didn't put an end to the suffering in the world. People still deal with a lot of very, very, very hard things. So I'm really thankful to the the people and the volunteers in this church that took uh, gifts for the angel tree ministry. There are families with moms or dads that are, are not with them because of bad things that happened, mistakes maybe that made bad choices, whatever the reason. But they're dealing with the fallout of that. And those angel tree gifts go to help show love, the love of Jesus to people in those places, in those times. And and I so appreciate the volunteers from our church who either took them already or still planning to take them between now and Christmas. What a beautiful illustration of the love of Christ. So Jesus came to deal with it, but his birth did not stop bad things from happening. It did not eliminate suffering, but here's what it did do. It didn't let bad things off the hook. See, the birth of Jesus might not have solved everything that Christmas morning or even while he was here, but it didn't let bad things off the hook either because the birth of Jesus, its purpose was to destroy evil. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Here's what John writes. He who sins is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. For this purpose, the Son of God came in the flesh that he might destroy 
the works of the devil. Church, Jesus was born so that he might finally, once and for all, one day, destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Now, some of you sitting here this morning, you go, well, why doesn't he do that now? Can I tell you something? He is. How? One life at a time. Some of you here this morning, you were so far from God once upon a time. You were in a place there was no hope, no way out, no way that this life is ever going to work right for you. And yet somehow God found you and it changed everything. I was watching the worship team play last Sunday and I think part of the worship for me was was watching Aaron play the guitar. I think Aaron was enjoying every moment of that worship last Sunday probably more than any of the rest of us. Why? Because God is conquering evil one life at a time right now. God is patient so that we might all come to redemption, all we might all come to salvation. And he didn't eliminate suffering either, but because he was born, there will be a day that there will be no more suffering for those who call him Lord. Revelation 21, 3, 5. John writes this. He said, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with him and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. See, as we deal with Christmas in the real world, we can't help but realize that we are in a land between two places. See, we're between then and now. We're between the suffering that is still very much a part of this life. And the unmitigated, unending joy that will one day be a part of our existence in eternity. We are in a land between the pain 
and the disappointment that sometimes it feels like we deal with every day. And a place where there will be no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. That's why Jesus came to offer that. As I was kind of meditating on this passage of scripture for this morning and I, I kept seeing those words, these words are true and faithful. God brought a song to my, my heart, an old song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It says, my redeemer is faithful and true. It's a song that says, you know, no matter all of the ups and downs that I've been through in life, God's been faithful and true in the middle of every one of them. And one day, one day it'll all be set right. The last time that Leslie and I sang this song was just a little over a year ago. It was in November of last year in a church in Prescott, Maine. As we said goodbye to my father-in-law and her stepdad, John. And this song was very much true of his life. But because he gave his life to the Lord, we know that he went to be with the Lord face to face. Because we've put our faith and trust in the Lord, we know that one day we will also do that. And when we get there, we'll say hey to John again. That's the reason for Christmas. As I look back on this road traveled, see so many times carried me through. And if there's one thing in my life that I've learned, my Redeemer is faithful and My Redeemer is faithful and true Everything He has said He will do and Every morning His mercies are new Someday I'll see my Lord face to face. 
my Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. Every morning His mercies are new. in every situation has proved his love to me and when I lack the understanding he gives more grace to me and my Everything he has said he will do. Every morning his mercies are new. Faithful and true.